Well, this evening we're going to consider together Lord's Day 47, which considers what it means to pray, Hallowed be thy name. But before we turn to that, I'd like to read with you Psalm 40, which is a psalm in which David does precisely that. He hallows God's name. And we'll see what that means. But pay attention to how he testifies before God to what the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing. Psalm 40, one of David's psalms, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Amen. Looking then to Lord's Day 47, which you can find on page 60 in the back of your Psalter hymnal. This is the third Lord's Day that considers prayer. The first one considered prayer in particular in general. What What is prayer? What's its significance? The second looked at the significance of praying to God as our Father in heaven. We saw His love, but also His omnipotence toward us. Now, Lord's Day 47 starts getting into the requests that Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And it asks, what does the first request mean? The answer is, hallowed be thy name, means help us to really know you, to bless Worship and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. 
And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider together this matter of prayer, it's important that we notice the priorities embedded in what Jesus himself taught us about prayer. After all, that's why he gave us the Lord's Prayer. This is a lesson about how we ought to pray. It was, in, it was Jesus' intent, not just that we repeat this prayer word for word all the time, but that we take that prayer as a model, that we pray like this, using the Lord's Prayer to teach us about our approach to God, the humility with which we need to speak, to teach us about the requests we should bring, what sort of things we should ask God for, and also to teach us our priorities. What things ought we to emphasize in our prayers and what things should we not emphasize? So it's not accidental. And in fact, I think it's quite significant that the first request Jesus teaches us to pray is the request, hallowed be your name. Now, kids, I have to confess something. When I was really little, that request confused me to no end. Because I thought, what's it mean to have a hollow name? And why would anybody want a hollow name? But that's not the word used. It's not hollowed. It's hallowed. And it's not a word that we use very often anymore, is it? When you hallow something, you regard it as, you treat it as something that is holy. Okay? You hallow something, you regard it, and you honor it as holy. And so the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle of old Israel, it was hallowed. It was regarded as holy. And so it was treated as being very special. Right? All of those who belong to the Lord... In fact, all of God's people are hallowed because God has said, as we saw this morning, God has said that we're holy and he wants us to live lives that are holy. In fact, in our culture, a lot of people celebrate Halloween and that's how it came to get its name. It it arose from an old celebration of the church when they would, would celebrate and rejoice in the Lord because of the saints who had gone before, the saints whose example they could follow. And that day was celebrated as All Hallows Day, or All Saints Day, all of those who are holy. The day before was called All Hallows Eve, and that got shortened down to what eventually became Halloween. But to hallow something is to regard it as, to honor it as that which is holy, that which is set apart to God and devoted to Him. Now, as Jesus teaches us our proper priority in prayer, He teaches us that honoring God's name as that which is holy ought to take first priority. Honoring God's name as that which is holy ought to take priority. And so what He's teaching us here is to pray for God's excellence to be emphasized. And that's the theme I want to focus on this evening. Christ teaches us to pray for God's excellence to be emphasized. And above all else, my friends, 
This is to be a prayer that God would change me. You know, it's easy to pray a prayer like this. May you be honored, Lord, in the third person, asking for it to happen through someone somewhere out there, but without asking for it to affect us, without expecting it to change, to transform how we live, how we are. But if we're praying this prayer in the way that Jesus calls us to pray, the way that Scripture would lead us to pray, then we're not first of all praying for something generic to happen, nor praying that it would happen for others, asking that God would glorify Himself just through you know, the leaders of the church or just through the leaders of our society or just through our neighbor, our co-worker, our friend. No, we should want all of that. But our first priority should be asking God to awaken our own response to His greatness. And so that's our first point here. We're praying that that God's excellence would be emphasized as He awakens our response to His greatness. That's first of all a prayer for insight, for knowledge. You can't praise someone, you can't honor someone whom you don't truly deeply know. True honor rests in a knowledge of who that person is, what they're like, what they've done. Think of if if you were invited to present an award to someone. Say it, a high school graduation. You're invited to come forward as a member of the senior class and present an award to the principal or to one of the teachers. Surely you wouldn't want to just wing it. Maybe you would, but you wouldn't be wise to do so. Because if you did, it would be obvious that you had no idea why this person was being honored or really what they were like. If you were really going to honor them, you would want to learn everything you could about that person. What's their history? How long have they taught at the school? What is it that they're known for? What is it that they're being honored for? How does that show itself in their lives? This person is, is known and is being honored for having such an effect on some of the students in the school. Maybe you want to find some of those students and find out what it is that he did that so influenced them. You want to, to be able to personalize that. And the more personal you can be, the more comprehensive you can be, the more you're really going to honor that teacher or that administrator, right? Well, so it is with God. We can't honor Him the way we ought to if we don't know what He's like. So we need to be praying for ourselves. The way the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, in Ephesus 3, when he prayed that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's praying that the church might truly understand how great and abundant is the love of God for them in Christ. Because the more they know Him, the more they'll love Him. The more they love Him, the more they'll honor Him. So we need to be praying that God would give us minds to comprehend and hearts to truly grasp the qualities of God, the works of God, the greatness of God in all that He is and all that He does. 
And then we're praying too that God would give us the opportunity and the ability to respond to His greatness. Our catechism speaks of the desire to bless, worship, and praise God. Now, of course, those actions are all related, but each is a response to knowing God. To knowing who He is and then responding to that greatness. That involves testifying, involves bearing witness. We're to testify what we have learned about God's character. When you're talking among your friends, and they say, well, what is it that makes God so different? And you can talk about what you've learned through the Bible, through catechism class, through the preaching of the Word, through through devotions with your family, about how unique God is, how His wisdom isn't just a, a knowledge of massive quantities of facts, but how all of those facts relate to one another, and how He's the one who knows the very end even before the beginning happens. How He's the one who has a knowledge of how each person's decisions affect each and every other person. You know, we can talk about the magnificence of His wisdom that we've learned from studying the Bible, that we've learned from sharpening one another. So we need to testify to what we know about Him, but also to bear witness. In other words, to tell people what we've experienced of God. What has God done for me? How has God blessed me? You know, I've seen in in our preparations for moving, that's a big process anytime. And it's so much harder when you're you're leaving behind so many people whom you love. Going to a place that you've never lived in the midst of a pandemic, which makes it more interesting yet. But how many times we've seen how situations that could have been nearly impossible. How do you buy a house 500 miles away that you're not allowed to set foot in until you've agreed to buy it? And yet we've seen how God has prepared the path ahead of us. One step at a time. How He has allowed each thing to fall into place, each aspect to come to pass with us barely even trying. And we need to to bear witness about those things in our lives because it happens in all of our lives. How you studied for that test and you totally didn't study for this one section because you thought there's no way that he's going to ask about that. And it turns out he did ask about that, but he gave you the option of, of writing a different essay instead and that was what you had focused on. That's God's provision for you. It's a tiny little thing, but it's just a, a small evidence of his perfect care. Or how God led you to study a particular passage of Scripture and later that day somebody came to you and they were just just broken hearted about something. And that passage you read that morning was exactly the passage that they needed to hear. Bear witness about that. How God provides, how God leads, how God gives exactly what you need. Psalm 8 Psalm 8 begins, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all the earth, who have set Your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants You have ordained strength. Our God desires all the creation to do that, to bear witness to Him. And He desires 
both the great things. You have set your glory above the heavens. The creation itself testifies to who God is and what He's like. But even nursing infants, even our smallest members, are created and designed to give glory to God about who He is and what He's like. Even before our children can speak, they're able to testify by their very design how great our God is. And we see examples of that throughout Scripture. Think about our call to worship this morning. The Apostle Paul so often did this, where he's speaking and suddenly he interjects with an expression of gratitude and praise for the God who overwhelms him. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? He just, he goes on about the wisdom and the greatness of God. Because he's struck by that as he talks about election and reprobation. Or later on in Ephesians 3, as he prays for the church to know God more fully, he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He just bursts forth in song, as it were, praising God, giving him glory. Folks, we need to pray that God would give us the courage and the opportunity to do that when He will. He will. You wake up in the morning, you look out the window, you see this beautiful sunrise, you could just go, oh, that's interesting, and turn away. Or you could say, hey, kids, come here and look at what God has done. Look at the painting God has put in the sky. You're feeling ill and you know you've got a busy week ahead and you pray and you ask, Lord, give me mercy. And and that cold that you felt developing, it departs. God gives you the healing you need. Don't keep that to yourself. Even if all you tell is your, your parents or your spouse, give God the glory, the honor that He deserves. Or when you're reading in the Scriptures and you see something that you never saw before that magnifies God's glory... Tell them about it. His character and His works ought to awaken our response. Again, think of Psalm 8. We're going to get back to Psalm 40, but but Psalm 8 does this so beautifully. David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, the creation sets David in awe of God's power, of His magnificence, of His glory. He says, what is man that you are mindful of Him and the Son of Man that you visit Him? He thinks about our role in the creation and he cannot help but give praise to God. Or later on in Psalm 25, the psalmist says, He looks at his standing before God and he says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. He thinks about his standing before God, the fact that he can gather with the saints and give praise to God and hear his word proclaimed. And he's undone as he considers the mercy of God, and he doesn't keep that to himself. That's the key. We're praying that God would give us the courage and the opportunity and the insight that we can tell others 
what he's like, what he's done. We want to, we want to ask God to awaken our response to his greatness. Above all else, this is a calling to tell folks what he has done for us. That's what Psalm 40 is all about. David's testifying here to his experience with God's goodness. He says, I, I sought the Lord in the midst of my need. And he brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. God heard him. God delivered him. We don't know what that experience was like. But can you imagine that? One of my kids experienced something like that. There was a, a lake that had kind of quick mud near the, the or not a lake, but a pond, had kind of quick mud right near the entrance of it, and he got stuck. There was no getting out, and his friends couldn't get him out, and finally they had to go get an adult to come and pull him out. That's what he felt like. It was absolutely inextricable. Or That's not the right word. He couldn't get pulled out of the, the mess that he was in. And he prayed. And God delivered him. And therefore, he says, he has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear. He's just struck by how God has delivered him. And he goes on from that into talking about how God always does this. Many, look at verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. He starts looking out through his life. He goes from this incident in which God gave him deliverance and he starts looking farther out at how God has given him opportunities to use his gifts and how God has, has providentially guided his actions and how God has put this person and that person in his life and how the Lord has ordained one step to the next, to the next, to the next, each one preparing for the ones to come. And he's overwhelmed. Look at how great our God is. Look at how merciful. Look at how perfect. And so he tells others what God has done. Folks, this is what must be our desire. It's for this that we pray, that God would give us insight into who he is and what he has done, that he would give us the opportunity to tell others about it and the courage to do so. Will it feel weird? Will it feel a little bit odd to just interject into the conversation, let me tell you what God has done? Maybe. But if you pray, then God will give you the entrance point. He'll give you the segue that will allow you to, to insert into the conversation what God has done. And yes, it might feel awkward the first time, but the second time it'll feel less awkward, and the third time it'll feel almost natural, and the fourth time you won't even think about it. You'll just start telling them, and, and we should. He's the one who made us. He's the one who redeemed us. He's the one who draws us to Himself. Our God ought to mean everything to us. But you know what? Left to ourselves, we're selfish. We're self-centered. And so we need to pray that God would allow us to see how dependent we are upon Him. We're right there with David. We were in the deepest, most inescapable pit that could ever be found in in the mire of our sin and our rebellion and our hatred for God. But He He worked in us. He turned us when we didn't even know that we needed it. And He drew us to Himself. And every single aspect of every one of your lives, He has superintended for your good. 
Surely it should be the first part of our prayer that we give Him the glory, that we give Him the credit that He is due. We were created. We were saved. We have been preserved for this purpose above all, that we might magnify God's glory, that we might hallow His name. But we can only do it if He empowers us. So we need to ask God to awaken our response to His greatness. And at the very same breath, We need to pray that God would employ our lives to awaken others. That's the other part of this. And it's the natural overflow of the first part of our request. As we learn to respond to God's greatness, studying our lives, studying the world to learn more about Him, speaking about Him, giving Him praise, worshiping Him in the sight of others. As we do that, we're not living in a vacuum. Other people will see what we're doing. They'll hear the words that we speak. Psalm 40 both recognizes and celebrates that fact. Verse 3, he says, He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. And then he adds, Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. David recognizes that his celebrating of what God has done, other people are going to see that. And when they see that, at least some of them will be led to see God likewise and to give God praise also. Later, he praises God for precisely this. Verse 16, Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. David longs for others to find their strength and their hope in God. He He's eager to hear others join his voice in praising the Lord. That's the proper result of God's revelation and work. As we see who God is, as we recognize what He's done, we praise Him. And others hear our words and they begin to see who He is and to discern what He has done. And they begin to praise Him and then others hear them. That cycle of trusting and blessing the Lord is a fulfillment of our calling to emphasize God's excellence. And that's what Jesus said we ought to be doing. In Matthew 5... Jesus famously told His disciples, and you all know this passage, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now what does that mean for us as members of the church? It means we've been set in this sinful world on purpose. God's doing at least three things with us in our lives in this world. Above all else, He's using us to bring glory to His name. That's what we were praying about in the first part of this prayer. Another thing He's doing is preparing us for eternity. He's teaching us to rely entirely on Him, to hate the sins that once held us captive, to love His holiness. But there's a third thing, and it's not incidental. He has put us here for the sake of the unbelieving world. He has put us here because, remember, He uses His Word to impart to our hearts an understanding of our need and the faith that will join us to Christ. He uses the preaching of the Word for that. But the folks out there can't hear the preaching of the Word that's happening in here, can they? So how do they get from there to here? God uses you to that end. 
as you live among them in a way that is distinct, as you speak among them in a way that hallows the name of God, you become a light shining out into the darkness of a sin-filled world. Because you reflect Christ, because you hallow the name of God, you offer a vivid contrast. You stand out. You're visible and noticeable. Think about it. Think about the people among whom you work. Something good happens in their life. They're all about what they did, the wisdom that they showed, how they're so great, they're so good. They have they, 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 they. When we say, look at what God has done. Isn't God great? Our Lord has been so merciful to us. That sets us apart. It makes us visible. Not because we're great, but because we're reflecting the Lord. He wants us reflecting His magnificence, His glory, His goodness. Because ultimately that's what we're called to do. When we reflect His light, we increase His glory because it draws people to to Him. They want to know more. We get to explain to them about Jesus and pretty soon we get to invite them to church, invite them to come worship. They hear the word proclaimed. If they're one of God's, He works within them. He transforms them. He gives them faith. He draws them in. The church grows. His honor is magnified. So we're called to continue shining a light out in the darkness. We do that simply by hallowing His name. As we come to know Him better, as we come to proclaim Him more boldly, as we come to reflect Him in our lives. So we need to be praying, because again, we're weak. We won't do that on our own. We can't do that on our own. But it's both a negative and a positive prayer. Negatively, we need to be praying that God would prevent us from extinguishing our light. How do we extinguish our light? If you're holy, remember what we saw this morning? God's will is your sanctification, right? And that's how we shine light. As we reveal His holiness, as we speak of His holiness and His goodness, we shine the light. But we can extinguish the light either by not responding to Him. We see God's work in our life, but we don't say a thing. We recognize God's perfections from Scripture, but we decline to sing His praises. These are ways of failing to shine the light that we were made to shine. We can also extinguish our light by living as a negative witness. Think of David, who wrote so much of the Psalter, who saw in his own life how magnificently God answered his prayers, who was given all of these privileges, all of these blessings, and how does he use it? Well, in many ways, he used it wonderfully. But then he decides to use it self-centeredly in order to get a woman for himself who was not his. And then to hide his sin by killing her husband and seeking to deceive the nation and and leading the, the nations around them to scorn God because of his wicked sin. Or think of Samson devoted to God from the start, wearing the long hair of a a Nazarite, out drinking and carousing, 
contrary to his vow. Seeking after women who were not holy because they were not part of God's people. These are ways of extinguishing our light. Claiming to be God's people but living like pagans. Worshipping among the saints on Sunday, but then speaking and acting just like the unbelievers during the week. We need to pray for the strength and the conviction to not extinguish our light, but instead to maximize the light that we show. Think of the, the example we find of that in Psalm 34. David begins that psalm by declaring his intention to praise God at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. He intends to hallow the name of the Lord. But then he cries out, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. He invites those around him to join him in proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And how does he do that? Why would they want to do that? Well, David bears witness to what God has done for him. God answered his prayer and delivered him from his fear. He has seen the radiance of the faces of those who look to God. The Lord saved him out of all his trouble. In fact, he says, the angel of the Lord encamps around all of those who fear him and delivers them. David's testifying here how we would testify, that his only comfort is that he belongs to the Lord who has delivered him from sin and from Satan and from all the bad that could happen, who watches over him so carefully, in fact, that not a hair will fall from his head apart from the will of his Father in heaven. That's what David's confessing here. And he encourages others to join him in seeking the Lord. Verses 8 through 10, he assures them, God is good, God will bless all of those who seek him. They will fear nothing who trust in the Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. He says, you know, even young lions find themselves unable to meet their needs, but not the one who trusts in the Lord. God meets every need. So come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. David could assure them, because he has experienced it, that when God's people cry out to Him, He hears, He answers, He provides. And then they can join Him in celebrating how good our God is. Folks, it is for that that we must pray. That God would fill us with the passion that filled David who wrote Psalm 34, Psalm 40, Psalm 8. That God would fill us with an eagerness, with a burning desire to see others trusting in the Lord and joining their voices to ours in praising Him. We need to pray that God would fill us with an earnest desire to lift His name high and to see others joining us in that. And so it is for that that we must pray. Because that's what it means to ask that God's name would be hallowed. We must ask for God to do that among all His people, but starting with us, that we would learn to discern who He is and what He has done, that we would have the courage and the desire to tell others, and that through our response to Him, our lives would be used to awaken others, that they might join us. That by our light, their light would be lit. Their lips would be opened. Their hearts would be ignited. Let that be the request that we make this week and in the weeks to come. Asking God to use us to glorify His name. Asking God to use us to lead others in glorifying His name. You think, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an elder. It doesn't matter. You're a Christian. 
A Christian is made to be a light in this dark world. And that's what we're praying. May God hear our prayer. And by the work of His Holy Spirit, may He use us to magnify His glory now and always. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, You are the one who has given us all the good things that we possess, all the good that we have experienced. And we pray that You would use us to give You the glory and the honor that You deserve. Help us to see, to discern the truth of the greatness of who You are and of what You have done. Enable us to tell others that You might be glorified through the words that we speak, but also that it might ignite in them a desire for You so that they might join us. And Father, we pray this, that that You might be glorified and that we might fulfill our great purpose. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.